This is a Salt Hill Media original podcast. Hello, welcome to the Ireland podcast. This is Fender Jackson. I'm delighted to announce my guests this week as Mr. Hugh William Brown and Paul Bosco McEnany. The three of us have had a history in that we did a course together in performing arts many years ago. And I thought it would be cool for us to have a conversation and to celebrate the life of one of our tutors who has sadly passed on. That tutor is a man called Mike Maloney, and he has as much mystery surrounding him as anybody else, perhaps a bit more, for he was not short of a few stories. He wouldn't let he wouldn't let the truth get in the way of a good story, basically. And he applied that to his life. He was the living embodiment of that, if you like. He was a fantastic man. And I thought it'd be cool to use him as a springboard for the conversation and yet glue in which to stick it all together. So use what you will of that mix of metaphors. Hugh Brown is also known as Jitterbug Jackson, who's a street performer. And he's done his own thing for about 30 years or close to it. Uh, he is a straight up strange guy. And I love him dearly for that. Paul McEnany, I know him because he was a drummer. So I saw him in a band whenever he was about 16. And I then joined that band. And in that band was him, myself, and the authors... Stuart Neville and James Morrow. I hope to interview them separately another time because they both have great writings under their belts. You'll probably hear the depths of our friendship in this conversation. However, there's also a bit of a distance in our conversation between yourselves because, well, I haven't lived in Ireland for a long time. So I don't have the visibility of their careers that I otherwise would have had had I have stayed in Belfast. Muhammad Ali, he said, Friendship is the hardest thing in the world to explain. It's not something you learn in school, but if you haven't learned the meaning of friendship, you really haven't learned anything. And we all know Muhammad Ali. Now, he was a fair boy whenever he came to the al I'm lucky in that I've acquired many great friends over my life so far. And I haven't always stayed in touch with them, but somehow, whenever I hook up with these friends, we seem to always pick up where we last left off. If you've got friends, hold on to them. They are gold for you. Another quote I found on the internet there, whenever it's rummaging around looking for a good quote for about friendships, is by Lois Wise. Don't worry, I never hear tell of her either. She says, A good friend is a connection to life, a tie to the past, a road to the future, the key to sanity in a totally insane world. I probably agree with that. Okay, let's go straight to that conversation. Band, give us a big old circus finish. I am Gino Lopari, and you are listening to the Ireland Podcast. Hello. Hello. Who are you and what do you do? I'm Hugh Brown, and uh, I suppose some people might also know me as Jitterbug Jackson. Uh, I do lots of things in theatre and music and circus and podcasts even too. Um, And yeah, general entertainment. Class, who are you 
And what do you do? I am Paul Bosco Maganini, and I am currently the artistic director of Cahoots NI Theatre Company. You say currently, like you've just got this job. <laughs> how long have you been doing it? I'm still auditioning for this role, but for I've the been last doing 30 it years, 22 or? years. 22, 22 years. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. No, so I run a production theatre company uh, and we create work for young audiences and families. Class. How do you know each other? Okay. We met at college. Was it not like a university? The Belfast. A highfalutin college. Buffet. What, what did you read there? I read theatre and the arts. <laughs> really though? <laughs> well, yeah, we studied performing arts. I heard about this course. I met this guy in Bangor where I grew up and he said to me on this mad night out, there's a course you can do theatre studies at. And performing, performing arts. arts. And yeah. I was like, wow, I didn't know there was such a thing in Belfast. And I Who was sort that? of as a guy called Graham Smiley, and of someone I'd grown up with and hadn't seen in years, and he mentioned this. So I thought, right, that sounds like something I'd love to do because I'd really wanted to do that, but I'd never heard there was an opportunity. So I thought, right, I'm going to audition, and I'm going to go for it. And what I remember audition? the audition, my audition, <laughs> yeah, my audition. So the day before the audition, I'd had I had quite a big weekend, and and. Um, I was listening to The Prodigy's first album, The Prodigy Experience, and there was a song on it. I can't even remember the name of it, but it was like the weather forecast or something. And I, when I was listening to this, having a shave, I was thinking, oh, I, could, I could see this sort of performance dance, sort of physical theatre thing in my head. And I thought, I need something to do. What else am I going to do? I'm going to do that. Uh-huh. And my only other thing was... I'm going to be the first person to get up so that I don't have to be, you know, if other people are doing their audition, I don't have to worry about it. I'm just going to do it. Yeah. And I did. As soon as I said, so who would like to go first? I said, me. <laughs> and I could see straight away by the faces and everyone else, like you two, you two were in those auditions. But, uh, yeah, I was going to be fine. <laughs> I think, I think you, you, you should hear this from an audience's point of view because I was sitting in the audience and out... A box was wheeled onto the middle Absolutely. of the stage. No, there was that? no box. Was there I had no box. Do it. No, the, the, the yeah. piece turned. It turned into a piece. But in, in that in that raw moment of audition, I didn't have a box, so I just curled up like a fetus, like a turd, and and like a turd, and kind of grew into a bigger turd, and then the turd came towards everyone, little moment by moment, and kind of looked at them in the eye and kind of wondered. Are you, are you a turd too? Well, that, that was the first time we had, me and, oh, Fender Jackson. Myself and Fender had known each other for many years before that day. Yes. But that was the been, first, oh. we had been friends from our, our, our ma days, our mafia days. But I, I remember sitting in the audience and thinking, Jesus Christ, Jesus. I have lived a very sheltered life when Hugh Brown did his appearance. His third appearance. His third appearance. His first third thinking, appearance. You need to get out of our mind. I, I was thinking that yeah. boy has taken more. See, I came from Derry originally, so I, I sort of, I knew what to, to expect from the world. I was well, naive. Derry in those days would have been a good place for a party. Yeah. Still yeah. is, I think. Well, I, I lived in the South Derry County, so it's just muck and sheep. Aye. And, and cows and lambs and chickens. Great times. Busy times. <laughs> Were you hurting? <laughs> I just run away from them. They scared the hell out of me. Yeah. That's not good when you're living in the country and no, you're no. frightened I like shucks. of the wildlife. Did you ever play um, Dodge a Shuck? Did no. you ever play a? I've thrown wellies. Aye. At who? At, at sort of festival goers. Right, right. The, their wellies or your own? 
bring my own wellies. Right. And then I like a bag full, like to, Santa. Yes. And then we encourage people to throw them. <laughs> no, seriously. And how many friends have you got now? Well, I was, and on Facebook or well, in real life? <laughs> both. Um, 1,372. And in real life? Five. That's about right. Yes. That's all you need. Five all, yes. good friends. I think I've left someone out there, actually. Six. Six. Well, that's an, you can't actually, count you yourself. Can't <laughs> 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 so... Paul Bosco McEnany. So if we call you Bosco, you know who you're talking about. Yes. So what is your addition in that course? I can't. I I, I remember. Just, do you? So I think I remember. I rem- I, well, do you want to explain what happened? I just remember magic because that's all he ever did. Because whenever we arrived in that audition, I did look around the room thinking, who, who are these people? What are yeah. they going to do? And you both had long hair, so I thought, right, there's a chance they're going to be all right. They're long hairs. I didn't expect magic. I... I didn't expect you to do magic. That was a lovely surprise, and you were well rehearsed magic. You'd done it before, and that was me years. He'd been practicing for years, and you got up and did a bass guitar solo. That's right. That was interesting. Yeah, that well, it wasn't the solo. It was actually I played Blood Mix Noise by Dan Vega, but I actually recorded the whole backing track beforehand. I was a glutton for punishment. I I still do that stuff. Were you playing bass though? I was playing yeah, bass. You were. I, I, but you had a backing track. I had a backing track at that audition. Yeah, yeah. I that you got them to play. Yeah, yeah. Or you had it on like a wee tape recorder? Uh, a wee tape recorder, I don't know. Give, I gave them all headphones. I, I gave them all the headphones and they had to share two headphones. Yeah. It's nice. And I remember thinking, nice. right, if these two make it, which, you know, wasn't for certain. Yeah. After the third gig, yeah. It'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> and sure enough, you were there on day one. So that was 1993. It was. Wow. Is yeah. that what, 1993? Yeah, I think the audition was probably... August 1993, yeah. and then we started September. And the reason why, just to for clarif- clarification's sake, I thought it'd be nice for us to come together mm-hmm. right now over Mike Maloney. June. Yeah, over Mike Abbey Maloney. Road, I consider to be the best Beatles album, just for the record. And, and it is their final one, you know. I do know that. Because it was recorded last. But anyway. It's beautiful. Mike Maloney was our teacher. And people out there won't know who Mike Maloney was. And we're going to talk a little bit about Mike. And he's really a springboard for this conversation, but but we want to do pay homage to him. He died in April 2013. Oh, my God. I know, 10 years, almost 11 years ago. That's quite wow. hard. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And he did have a profound impact, certainly upon me, and I'm guessing on you too mm-hmm. as well, and also upon Belfast. So we'll talk a little bit about him. He was our teacher. Mm-hmm. So... Who was he? Where did he come from? Australia. <laughs> Do you know where in Australia? <laughs> just turned into a quiz. Uh, I don't know where. See, he was such a man of mystery. Somewhere, was it west of Sydney? West of Perth, maybe, just in the ocean. Yeah. Just it didn't ocean. actually matter. Like, Rural. It, yeah, it didn't matter where he is from. No, it, it didn't matter. And the extraordinary thing about Mike, I mean, I think, you know, his legacy in this city, and we're obviously speaking from Belfast, is extraordinary uh, in terms of, you know, the obvious being Belfast Community Circus. And which the he impact, started. Which he started with with another dear friend of ours, D- Donald McKendry, you know. Okay. Uh, but the legacy that, that, that he's left in that, you know, performing arts uh, establishment would be enough for anyone. Uh, you know, there definitely ought to be a statue outside that building of him. But... But underneath that, you know, that would probably be his, you know, his front page news. But the amount of artists that he 
inspired? Well, actually inspired or made, you know, or the encouragement together. and brought together. Yeah. His greatest strength was was bringing people together. You mm. know, in a in a strange kind of way, he brought us three together. Yeah. Uh, you know, but but Mike was was someone that could see a good idea stage left and see a even better idea stage right and bring them both into the center. I don't think he was a detailed kind of a person. I think he was a big idea kind of a person mm. that could genuinely see opportunities for people to connect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was without doubt his greatest strength. I didn't know this until many years later, but I'd actually met Mike many years before we... Uh, before college? Before college. Had and you? I don't know if I told you this, but... No. no so I was... Uh, you know, as a young person growing up in Armagh, I was in a youth club and uh, I was at an exhibition not so long ago and I saw pictures of 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 myself at that youth club. And in one of the pictures, there was a strange looking man hmm. with a... That was Donald. With a, no, no, there was a strange looking <laughs> man with, with, with a group of, a of young people. No, with a... You, when I say the word, you laugh, with a parachute. Oh, uh, so I had obviously <laughs> been part of a workshop that he had done. And, you know, I had vague memories of that. Cause he used what to age do, were you then? Like, oh, gosh, uh, I, have, I have no idea. I kind of imagine I was about 14, 13, 14. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, you know, he you must have, have been, just yeah. arrived. Uh, just after your bar mitzvah. Yeah, yeah. that's the one. And, <laughs> but I do remember, you know, when I saw the picture, I went, oh, my God. Mm. I'd actually connected with this and man. little did you know that fast forward... 10 years or so, you'd be sleeping under that parachute oh, on the streets of God. Dublin. Yes, in which we... Yeah, a good night, that? though. A good, good night, night was had. Tell we, us about that. We went for a workshop with Mike. Um, Hoth, is that how you pronounce Aye, it? Aye, that's Hoth north. In du- north side of Dublin, sort yeah, of yeah. coastal, lovely. Aye, like, that's where Gay Byrne used to live. It a, is it? Yeah, it was yeah. a beautiful sort of park land. And we were there, he said to us, I've got better work for you, let's go to Dublin. And uh, we were like, Yes all over it we went down we worked all afternoon mike had his parachute because he was doing all his parachute games and stuff teaching circus we were teaching circus and uh whatever and then we headed rather than get the train home let's go into dublin and while we're here and you know just have a pint or whatever and literally it turned into such a an amazing night and there's you know a lot of ins and outs of that night which meant that we'd nowhere really to stay but we slept under that parachute outside Connolly Station and well, we're woken up for the first train home. You might have slept, but I know Maloney slept within seconds because yes. he, remember, we're his yes. students at this time. So he says, we're going to just sleep here and out came the parachute <laughs> from the bag and we're three of us are sitting on a on a park bench uh-huh. and literally you went one, two, three and I go... And he had a snore. He, 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 had a, mean, he was uh, out. So I didn't sleep a wink, obviously. Yeah. This is uh, during the course. Yeah. No, it was, was, I? It was just after it was the course. After the course. just okay. after the course. So, yes, snoring-wise, Mike is famous for that snore. Yeah. It, was, it shook Dublin. It was wild. Yeah. I mean, I think people woke, you know, as they arrived to get that first train to Belfast, were just like, I mean, I remember opening my eyes and people were just looking at him snoring and going... That's it was how wild. fast he went to sleep. He literally went to sleep within oh, seconds. Yeah. We sat he down could sleep and he was that snoring. Boy. He could Last. sleep standing up, as they say. So he gave all of us circus skills. Yes. Because I, I remember, like, it, the way the course was run was you had, you know, acting or stagecraft. And Bosco and I went for the stagecraft. Yes. You went for the acting. Yeah. And then you'd come to another junction that was maybe, like... Um, 
I don't know, mime and something else or whatever. But we came to another junction, which was circus skills and dance. And through the process of elimination, we all went for circus skills. Mm-hmm. Well, that's how it worked for me. And um, am I correct in my recollection? Yeah, I don't remember it as, as sort of those choices in a way, but I think you're right. Yeah. But it, it's weird. I just kind of, it almost felt such a, I think that was what was great about that course, is it? And what I really needed and wanted was hands-on experience and learning different types yeah. of things. And circus just seemed another, you know, like gift. Yeah. As did the music. I remember us all working in the music department. Mm. I remember, you know, dance was a gift. It was like, mm. have a go at something. You were encouraged to have a go at everything. That's right. And that had a huge impact on me. And Mike was a huge kind of someone who... I think seeing each of us and each of his students, he's seen that you could just grow and grow into life and you'll just pick up skills as you go along. Don't be afraid to learn new things. And that is how I've tried to live my life and my career's hopefully shown that having a go at everything yeah. is a good thing to do. And, you know, that's, of course, actually restored my faith in education. Yeah. You know, I had a horrible secondary school experience yeah. and... Um, I repeated my A-levels and that was maybe worse. You know, yeah. the, the teachers, they were awful. But um, a big shout out to Malcolm as well yeah. and to Aidan Brown. Yeah. Um, so the two of them and uh, Mike, obviously. But you and had... Sandy and uh, yeah. there's all these names and people that I think of who... And that was... It felt a really organic thing yes. and it felt like, you know, it just felt like a place where you could go and have really good fun and learn things and experiment and they yeah. wouldn't be you know if, if you did things that were a bit outlandish or whatever it wasn't like everyone oh you can't do that yeah you could do whatever you felt you need to do to express yourself and that was i needed that yeah i remember that deconstruction performance that we did of death of a salesman and i, yeah. I know i know malcolm ran that and what the way it run was um, we deconstructed the themes down to the essential elements and yeah. then you build up your own performance out of that yeah and for me, that was still probably, what, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that for me, the theatre medium is best used whenever you tell 10% of the story and the audience writes the 90%. That's why I like Samuel Beckett so much. That's why I like James Joyce so much. And those performances were really fantastic. Yeah. However, we must talk about prison. <laughs> <laughs> because this was, this was the opposite of that. This was, okay, Bosco, why don't you talk about the prison performance? Wow, well... Yeah, because I know nothing about this. So well, well the concept, if you think about it, I mean, bear in mind, you know, we weren't in peace, or we weren't at peace. Yeah, 1994, yeah. Yeah, we weren't. Five, yeah. So Mike had this incredible idea. I mean, he was working within the prison structure, doing with prisoners in what McGabry. he was... In McGabry. Prison do, Arts Foundation. Yeah, but he was doing with prisoners what he was doing with us he was trying to inspire he was using the arts uh, in a kind of unconventional way uh, I think uh, to to sort of bring people out of themselves for people to talk for some sort of rehabilitation uh, and he came up with this plan to bring a group of students into McGabbery prison uh, and create a, a Christmas show I don't know if I've told you this, but I, I remember I went in before uh, with Mike before that uh, uh, that that production, and he picked me up 
because uh, he wanted me to do something about magic. Uh, in the prison. In to the break prison. the ice, uh, To probably. break the ice and to go in with him. So he said, I'll pick you up on, on whatever day it is. And, and suddenly a Harley Davidson's at my door. <laughs> I'm going, I've never been on a bike, okay. never mind a Harley Davidson. So he drove down the M1 at about 90 miles an hour. And I was going, this is insane. Anyway, we get to the prison. So you're in the, you're in the back. What do, you call, what do you call it? Whatever you're in the back of it. In a sidecar, probably, like grommet. <laughs> you're in the back? Yeah. What do you call it? Like, that word whenever you're sitting on the back of a bike? Alien. Pillion. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So you're pillion on the back of this. Riding. Yeah, so pillion. he's picked Riding me up and pillion above, yeah. on the back of a Harley Davidson. On the way to McGovern Prison. hair in your face, <laughs> <probably>. <laughs> So we get, we get to the prison and then we go in uh, and... I, you know, Mike says to me, there's a wee process we've got to go through first. Where they take your photograph of the Polaroid. They take two photographs of Polaroid. That's right. And you have to sign books of them. And then one of them is your badge <laughs> yep. for going in and they keep the other badge. So then they, that's your, that's your security clearance, if you like. You know, that, that's the one. Then we went into a room and then there were uh, several gentlemen brought into the room and should I say, two or three of them put up their hand right. and they were ushered out. Right. And I didn't think oh. anything about this. And then uh, we were leaving. And they, had they been asked to do they like magic? Well, if maybe. You, we're, uh, but, if no, but what happened up. was that, you know, remember, we're in the middle of the troubles. So they had been told if you recognize anybody that comes into the room, you need to let us know. Oh. So I'd been to school with a few of them. Oh, wow. Uh, of course. Yeah. So I'm from, wow. I'm, from, I'm from Orma. It's I know. So they yeah. recognised you. They recognised me, put their hand up, and they were taken away. They weren't. Was it, was it your mum and dad? They, <laughs> no, <laughs> Not it was, the magician. There was, there was no relatives. Uh, but no, I mean, my, 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 my school days in Orma, and obviously what was going on around then, uh, you know, two or three people recognised me and wow. went, I know who that guy is. So they they weren't allowed to take part in, back to in their the activity. Cells. Back to their cells. Oh. Because, so, but, so what was the prison thing? So anyway, I remember at that point being in with Mike and just watching him in absolute awe because he had a, you know, he was still the same guy, obviously, but he he had an ability to talk to anybody that's right and communicate yeah. to them on on their level that's right so and he was he just pushed away everything he pushed away everything Total and the most important thing was about having fun yes i mean for me i think that's his legacy really and when it comes to teaching yes. is the teaching's got to be i'd never experienced that before yeah. you know the teaching is about fun so I experienced two or three sessions before we started to do this project was mm. let's create a pantomime mm. with lifetime prisoners. I mean, mm. that's an extraordinary thing to contemplate in the middle of the troubles. Yeah. And and we did. And we went in there. I can't remember for how long. I remember it was, it was a two or three weeks. It was two or three weeks. Yeah. Intense. Yeah. You know. And they were, they, were, they were still devising the performance. So they had, they had devised the performance with Mike and there was a legs of... Uh, the characters, for example, you had uh, Super Mario, you had Postman Pat, you had... Postman all, Pat played by... Who yes, was, who a, was a, a prison, prison warden, warden, a.k.a. Screw, which is what they called him. Yeah. And he was The fantastic. only one, if I remember. I yes, think he was right. the only one he that they He was the only prison with. warden, yeah. and I, I had so much admiration Same for that here. man. Um, do you remember the fight? Were you there when there was a fight? Oh, there was a fight. Oh, my, oh my gosh. I've never seen yeah, anything yeah. like it. And that you may know. have been even the morning of the first performance, was it? The I think it cast was. cast members. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah this, they literally, I mean, it was such a violent act. And it was 
extraordinary because it they came out of this is real. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. It, it wasn't it, a fight scene in Robin. No, Hood. No, no, no. This is this is a, a problem with uh, themselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 you know, extraordinary how the atmosphere. You mm. suddenly because it was very easy to forget you were in a prison once yeah. you yes. start performing and yeah. playing and yeah. acting and there was there was a band and the music yeah. you know so the atmosphere you know obviously you knew you were a prison when you were going in and you know the security would go through but you suddenly forgot but the, that you the, were the space transformed as well because it was just a big old rectangloid uh, room and we brought in all these uh, all this equipment for example um, lighting gear sound gear seating bank was That's all right. brought in everything was brought in so we transformed the space yeah just like the space that we're in here today which by the way if you can hear the sound of the that's the bowels of the building going through the the veins you know people flushing the toilets in the background so anyway um <laughs> transformed the space you know lovely thought i know isn't it and uh so it's easy to to forget that you're in the prison, and then all of a sudden, the atmosphere all of a sudden something yeah. happens, and you look to your right, and you see two people. You see plenty of confrontations between actors and directors or whatever in the theatre, but not normally does it come yeah. to such yeah. a turn very violent, and then obviously alarms are going off, and everybody difficult to pick yourself up yeah. for the show. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. but you stayed a bit. But, but, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> For me, I came away, I don't know about you, but at the end of that project, I had learned so much, not just, not about performing arts, really, but about people and about life. And Well, and also, you know, you got, society, you got to know these people. I mean, without going into too much detail, everybody that I was working with was able to openly speak about why they were there. And and some of the stories were incredibly harrowing. Mm. Uh, And how... Simple is probably not the right word, but it's the only one I can think of right now. A moment How, of madness. A moment of madness can actually turn someone into a lifetime prisoner. And then, you know, the conflict that I had at the end of that is I, I came away thinking prison was not right. I, I'm the same. Oh, yeah. I came out of that space, that whole experience, thinking education's a way forward. Yeah. Mm. And if, you know, and, and, and it stuck with me for years and years and decades, actually, because I, I keep thinking, if we could just give these guys intensive education, you know, to turn themselves into better people, to contribute to society in a big way and give them a second chance, you know, we would have a transformative system in our, on our hands. But the thing is, some people just aren't open to that no. as well, which is, this is through years of, of later wisdom and putting air quotes here. So some people are, are are unable to do that. And then there's that question, how to protect society from the situation. So there's, I don't have the answers to these, but but this stuff is going but through my absolutely. mind. Absolutely. And there's a parallel with that thought process to, to education as well, because you look mm. at, 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 at Biffy, the college we were at, mm-hmm. and someone like Malcolm Smith, who, you know, was instrumental in, 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 the ethos around what that college was doing. But here he was fully supporting Mike Maloney in a project where he was taking people in the middle of the troubles from all over Northern Ireland saying, you know what we'll do? We'll take you into prison and work with lifetime prisoners. Like Mm. even today. Tricky. Tricky. You know, absolutely. I suppose that's what I mean. The the education system, uh, I'm not sure that happens today. You know, know, I didn't want to do it. Mike had you on board, he had, um, what do you call that, Janice, Janice, the singer? Yes, oh yes, had brilliant her on board, singer, brilliant singer. singer. She did Tina Turner and That's all the rest. That's right, right. And didn't have a musician. And I was maybe 
the, probably the best musician of the course. I, you know, I'm not blowing my trumpet. It's just I, I was Did in a you band. Play? I didn't uh, even you played trumpet. What? <laughs> 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 oh yeah, I didn't even play trumpet. Um, so Mike needed me, and I didn't want to do it. And he, I think he came to my house and he begged me. And he took me out. And maybe he took me out to for a pint and begged me. But he twisted my eyes at Mike. You know. I grew up in Derry, you know, my father was involved in the civil rights movement, all this stuff, and I didn't want the police check. I have a very healthy disrespect for authority, you know, right across the board. Mm. And um, certainly, at, you know, pre-peacetime pre uh, in Northern Ireland, I really did not want the police looking into my background. Yeah. And uh, Meg said, you know, they just want to know, did you do something, do you have a record? And I was like... I don't even like that, you know? Yeah. So why yeah. didn't he even ask me? Well, because <laughs> <laughs> well, you were signed up for the other course. I think they needed you, you were there. With Jim Webster. I was, was that when that was? That's when that was. So, yes, I was off the working space with Jim, which is life changing. Was, it, was as that well. the living history one? No, no, I was doing the. No, it's, um, it's Hiawatha, was it? I did a Chris. Yeah. No, I did a Christmas tour with Jim Webster. What was that then? So, it was a Christmas show where basically he was touring schools. Jim is a at that stage was a one, a one man band as opposed to in a street, you know, very influential street show, and doing uh, it formed Streetwise, which went on to become Streetwise Community Circus workshops, and still going there doing lots of different types of work now with people with disabilities, um, elderly people with dementia, you know, continue to do amazing stuff, but at that stage he came in. During the rehearsals for that show you just mentioned, the uh, death of a salesman. Yeah. And I remember there was a scene where I had to keep a really straight face while you were all, you know, giving me all this sort of abuse, all this oh, stuff yeah. in my head stuff. Mm. And I just had to just keep a straight face and take it all in. And uh, he chose me to come and be his sidekick in this show because of the straight face. Yeah. And... Uh, and I, so I ended up doing sound man and on stage kind of sidekick. Michelle Wiggins was the witch puppet. So Michelle Wiggins, the singer. Michelle had been, we, we never really got on at that stage much and became firm friends yeah. during that show. And uh, yeah, it was a, kind of um, a big life-changing moment for me, one of the circus moments as well where you, you start seeing someone doing circus and you think, I'm going to learn some of those skills yeah. and I'm going to... See where it takes me. Mm. And, you know, so go, just going back to prison yeah. just for a moment, um, that was Christmas time. You're right. Yeah. Because I remember the prisoners' you families. You a pantomime, were you? It was a pantomime. <laughs> it was a pantomime. So, and they had, they had written the performance with Mike. It was incredible Class. what they had done. So the, their families came in. And their, fa you know, their families would snatch an hour a week with him, you know, that was their visiting yeah. time. So this was different. This was, they came in and they saw daddy. They saw, you know, it was all men, by the way. They saw daddy performing uh, on stage in prison. And for that moment, they were transformed into a different world. They were not in prison. They were in this wonderverse where they could see their daddy being a role model. Yeah. And it was absolutely gorgeous. And, and transformation I'm, is the word that you keep saying. And that yeah. is what Mike... Did. Yeah, he transformed yeah. lives and places. And uh, do you know what the prisoners said to me afterwards? Many of them said to me, "This was our Christmas." Mm -hmm. You know, the Christmas was coming up in about two weeks after that. Yeah, but I, this is Christmas. This was their Christmas. 
And Mike asked me to do it the next year. And uh, I went in, even though I'd finished the course yes. at that stage. So I went in with Stephen McNally out of The Good Things, the guitarist. And um, I thought, yeah, he, he would dig this. And um, yeah, it, it was great, but it was different. I was expecting it to be the same. It, it wasn't because all the heads of our, uh, the heads as in the people of our course had moved on. So they weren't there. Yes. It was the next year below, so I didn't have that same connection right. with him. Yeah. It was still worthwhile and gorgeous and all the rest, but it didn't have that same vibe as the first one. But um, fast forward some time, and I was moving, I was living in London, and I was going across from Northern Ireland to Donegal on the wee ferry outside McGilligan's Point, or at yes. McGilligan's Point, and I saw in my wing mirrors, I think, so my, my future ex was sitting in the passenger seat <laughs> and she was giving off and uh, <laughs> my future ex. And uh, I, I looked in the wing mirrors and I could see, it's Mike Maloney. So I just, he was in the bike behind me. So I just, she was wow. roaring at me. I just got out of the car. and <laughs> so I'm like, Well, Mike is going. So he's all telling me, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to this, uh, I'm just coming from McGilligan or whatever. And, you know, he was telling me, it's telling me about his work there. And I said, I didn't know he did that. And he started telling me that, uh, you know, he, he needs to get away from that. And it was a very insightful thing he said to me, which was, you know, not only are you, are they institutionalized, but as a teacher, me spending time in there, I start to become institutionalized. Yeah. So I need to get a big break from it all. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah, yeah. So when would that have been? That was about... Uh, 2002, 2001, around that time. Okay. Yeah. So that course obviously was instrumental for all of us. What did you take from that course and how did it set you up in your future careers? I think what Hugh alluded to just a few minutes ago, just the fact that it allowed you to really dip your toe into so many different aspects of the performing arts. Uh -huh. I kind of feel sorry for people now that, you know, at 18, decide that they're going to X college because they can become a musical, uh, you know, musical theatre star. Where actually what that course allowed us all to do was get a real understanding of what a theatre is to begin with. Mm. You know, the lights, mm. the sound, mm. uh, you know, the techniques that all of the people that work within theatre have to learn. Uh, whether you were good at it or bad at it, you had to have an understanding of that. And that was before you even walked onto a stage and performed. And then when you did that, we were learning dance, circus skills, you know, uh, Shakespeare. Mm. You, know, you, ju you just got an incredible grounding in what theatre was mm -hmm. or could potentially be. Uh, so for me, I think it allowed me to start to understand techniques that I'd given no... Uh, thought to like lighting mm -hmm. uh, which is now in my work so mm -hmm. instrumental you know sound so uh, talk about a little bit about your work what, what is it you do so we are I uh, genuinely don't know because okay, you know, okay. I, I, mm -hmm. I moved from Ireland in 96 right and, and you know I know you do shows but tell talk a bit so about the, that. The, you're probably outside of our our age demographic you know mm -hmm. so you we, we produce what I would like to think of as as kind of world-class work for young audiences. And I don't know where the passion for that, well, I probably do, came from in me, but I believe firmly that that young people 
when they go to the theatre deserve to have the same standards of work that you and I expect when we go to a theatre. So, you know, I think some an organisation like Cahoots, pre-Cahoots, and actually for the first five, six years of Cahoots, you know, the level of funding available for work that was being produced for young audiences would have been significantly less than work being produced for adults. So it was to sort of right or wrong, I think, you know, when I look back on it, so that why would you not hire writers, designers, lighting designers, uh, dramaturgs when you're creating work for young audiences? And also... Why is it perceived as an entry-level sport? Uh, it kind of is, or was, for performers that couldn't get work anywhere else. I know what we'll do, we'll make something up for kids because, well, they're not going to answer back or th- nobody's going to critique that work. So that was really the impetus, I feel, that I had to begin with to start Cahoots to sort of really see that there was a a, a void of, of excellence in work being created for young audiences. And what age group is the audiences? It can be from four to... I mean, here's the thing. We're just back from Broadway. We opened a show on Broadway a few months back. It was called The Vanishing Elephant. So there's a show that's been created in Northern Ireland that's found itself onto a Broadway stage. The reason for that is, A, hopefully it's a really, really good show, but I think B, and more importantly, is that there's a show that took about four years to make. So it's, it's, it's about delivering work for young audiences that has the exact same uh, backbone uh, that if you were producing a piece of work in international theatre, it would deserve to have as well. So for me, you know, that, that's it's about quality. It's about ensuring that our young audiences get to see work that, that, that is exciting. Our, our core audience is young audiences, but primarily it's families. It's, it's, mm. it's adults as well as, as kids. So a good story is a good story. Yeah. And the show that went on Broadway, what happens thereafter? Does it get shelved or does it continue? Or No, that the sh- we've just finished uh, Out in America and it's coming back to the Opera House. It'll be in the Opera House now next year in Belfast. In Belfast and then it's going to do a nine-week tour of the US. It's going into London next May. Birmingham, a few other English cities. So no, that that's that's a piece of work that now has, I guess, longevity because of the success that it had. It became the Critics' Choice in New oh, York Times. Wow. So it's, did you write it? I didn't. Uh, I I did the original storyboard. Oh. I originally thought it was a piece with no words. Right. So Who I mean, wrote it then? well, it's written by a guy called Charles Way, who's a longtime collaborator, mm-hmm. uh, and and we've commissioned several pieces of his work. Uh, but it had a very interesting birth. I was in America being shown around a theatre in Times Square and the person that was running the theatre said to me, you know, Harry Houdini vanished an elephant Eric on Weiss. the stage. Eric Weiss. Eric Weiss, which you did a, you did a performance or a presentation That's on. That's right. Yeah, I did William Burroughs. Uh, did you do William Burroughs? I did William Burroughs. Who did you do? We had to talk this about... This is a college. Do you remember we had to do a, a presentation on... on somebody, somebody that was inspirational to us. I chose William Burroughs. You chose Eric, Eric Weiss, Weiss, Harry Houdini. Who did you choose? I have no you idea. Ch- you chose... Um, oh, please remember, because I don't... Petula Clark. Petula Clark. I was a big, big fan of did Petula's you? work. Or, no, no, or, or was it Bob Monkhouse? It wouldn't have been Monkhouse. Lionel Blair? No. Tony Blair and his mm. mullet. It was the mullet. Was that you were bald then? No, he would have done. It, would have... it wasn't Frank Zappa. It so, could have been Frank Zappa. Anyway, you think about that. Back to back to Harry Houdini. Harry Houdini. So 
walking around this theatre, the person says, you know, on this stage, Harry Houdini vanished an elephant. And I, in my head, I went, that's a load of old, because it was the Hippodrome. It wasn't this theatre, the New Victory Theatre. Anyway, that inspired the thinking behind the story that then became The Vanishing Elephant, because Houdini did vanish an elephant uh, in the middle of New York. But what I found maybe more interesting was, how does an elephant end up on the stage in the middle of a theatre in New York? And so we created a story about that elephant and and it kind of captures a period in time, you know, when we probably didn't treat animals as well as we treat them today. Uh, but also it was a story about migration, uh, you know, very relevant today's world. An elephant, a baby elephant is taken from its family in India and, and taken to America to perform. So bouncing a lot of themes about there. But you know, we, we end up vanishing an elephant on a stage and you will get to see it when it comes to Ireland it is, now. Yeah, uh, yeah. Is it coming to Galway? Not at this moment in time, no. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. who knows? Who knows? Jitterbug. Yes. Tell, Hugh Brown, tell us the crack. How did that course inspire you and what influence did it have in your career? Well, I suppose the obvious is the circus thing um, because that was a, a kind of way to come out of college. What was really important for me was to come out and start working straight away. I didn't want to, didn't like the idea of auditioning and looking for work. And I wanted to make work straight away. And I realized from working with Jim that you could get out and do shows on the street, street shows, work at festivals. And that sort of suited and me. And, and I thought, well, busk. not to busk, to get booked to do shows. All you had to do is make a show. I have busked very few times in my life. So actually. who funds you then? So the festival who books you, or the council who books you to come, like Port Rush Council, for instance. And then how, like, whenever you're doing your first one, how do you actually make them think that you are good worth enough? Them? Yeah, yeah. So Jim was, I suppose, had a Jim was kind of the agent, right? Um, and he was basically, well, he the first show it was with with Bosco, CJ and Bosco, we were called, and uh, we went out. And it sort of started as walkabout stuff first. Uh -huh. um, Bosco definitely had the sort of magic stuff that he could do. I had learned to unicycle by this stage, mm -hmm. so I had a skill that, that allowed me to talk rubbish to people and and hopefully entertain them. And from that came the idea of doing a show, and that was my first street show. And whereas Bosco could then got into theatre, mm -hmm. after a year, a season of doing that, you'd almost look at it, I Jim asked me to work with him. So a double act, a new double act, Webster and Brown happened. And that was when, you know, it really took off for me. Did that for four years. Then I did a, a triple act with Tall Paul Quaid and his soon-to-be wife, Diane. But basically circus for a while consumed me as a way of making shows, to be able to make shows and go out, whether it be cabaret on the street, festivals, whatever. And uh, it was... It's sort of, I think it suited me as a sort of outsider in a way, mm. outsider art. I don't know if that would be the right outsider artist because it meant there's a certain amount of, you can kind of, you're in total control mm. of what you do. And that really suited me to, you had to play within some rules, but you could basically <sighs> do what you wished and create what you wanted. And that, at that time in my life was really important. I was making money, but I was getting to do the things that I wanted to do. And then it was <coughs> that world of our paths crossed again when I suppose Bosco, you had seen me do various different acts and things that I had created and our world started to cross over and back to the stage for me. 
What year was that then? Oh, 2001, I think. Mm. <coughs> I think the magic hat was around the magic then, hat. and that was the first sort of step in. And from that, it sort of, I think for me, um, Fender, um, <laughs> I do that idea of what Mike taught us about transformation. That is hugely important to me because whether it be working in a hospital and to you, a hospital, a street, a theater, at a festival, in a house. Whatever, wherever it be, I, I am interested in transforming spaces and site-specific work as well. And the community work is probably what Mike influenced in that I love to go to, and I spend a lot of time now working in communities like Darndale in Dublin or Ringsend in Dublin, and I'm going to go to Derry. I've just got funding from the Arts Council to go to Derry and work in a couple of communities. And I go into those communities and with a completely open mind to communicate to gather information about what it feels like for those people right now and and from that i start to build works little works of art whether it be through music through song through circus whatever art form i i go in with totally open mind and i try to create something new that helps those people express themselves in the same way as i felt it helped me so that's and jitterbug is a kind of a catalyst for all that because I know with Jitterbug I can go in and I can do my solo show anywhere to anyone and get some kind of a reaction and and it breaks ice completely and from that I can start to communicate with people and if it's if I stay within that community for a period of time I can definitely get something back. So yeah, when I think about it now and I say it all out loud, I can see how it kind of journeys and it comes from, say, Mike and and Malcolm and college and you two and everything. But it it was an ever-evolving kind of probably piece of me for for always. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, yes, Fender. Well. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, what about college? How did it affect you and how did it inspire you? Well, you know, I went to university in Leeds. Well, it was part of the university at Leeds, but it was actually Wakefield. And I... So that was after? After the course. So I was playing... Straight away after? No, what, what happened was I was playing in the band The Good Things. Yes. Uh, and we were going to make it big in London. Yes. And uh, we kind of fell apart even before we got in the van. So I went back to the course and I said to Malcolm, what do you think I should do? He said to me, go to Bretton Hall and study theatre design. I went, okay. So I applied for a few courses, but I ended up going to Bretton Hall. And I was, I remember it was the first summer, so it was between first and second year, and I had got a job in a shoe factory. And it was, a fa- it was just like a room like this here. So it's, um, and Ian really was playing in the background. And a forklift would come in with a big pallet full of boxes. And I would take a box off the pallet, I'd open up the box, and then take out these other boxes. And then open up those boxes and take out a pair of shoes. And then I'd get a sticker and put it in the shoes and put it inside the box and put that box back together and put a sticker in that box and then put that box back in the bigger box and put a sticker in that box and then put it back on a new pallet. And I did that for about a week. And I was she thinking, did well. <laughs> I'm going to go mad here. So I was thinking, if I made a pair of stilts, mm. if I got a job in a fortnight, 150 quid a week, I would earn more money than I would do in this place. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did. I went and made a pair of stilts. 
and put on a pair of DMs at the bottom. Yeah. And uh, you went whole hog. I went whole hog. I went, I got to, uh, one trousers. of my trousers. Long I got, trousers. I got somebody to, in my course. Tail was, coat. Uh, I, well, I went to a charity shop and I went, bought a Steve's this dress and it became a cloak. <laughs> oh, a cloak. Who were you? Who was uh, you? Paddy Murphy, the jolly Irish giant. Oh. oh. Yeah. And did, did it? Did it work? Did you get? I got loads of work. Yeah, and that's how I funded my wow. way through university. Festivals again, or councils? No, no. Or? So what I did was I would do markets. So I had yes. loads of agents, and they would take ten percent of what I was earning. And then whenever I wasn't doing that, I would go on the streets with balloons, Qualtex two sixties. Qualtex two sixties. Classic. <laughs> Classic. I could make three things: a dog. Um, Snake? Uh, no, I couldn't do a snake. Worm? Uh, no, I make a, a, a toilet seat cover. So <laughs> right. You just join it together and sell that to people. Not sell it, give it to people and take yeah. that home so you don't have to hover anymore. Yeah. You can use that in any toilet. Or <laughs> or just scrunch it up into weird shape and it's modern art. And that's what, that was my three offerings to the, the world in balloons. And they were successful. Yeah. More successful than Bosco and his fancy... I know, flowers. Balloons. Parrots. <laughs> you can make a parrot. I could make a parrot. Yeah. Balls. I could. No, you I could. You could make a hat. He could, he could a make anything. He, he was... He was yeah. yeah. Could you? <laughs> you can make a good sword. I, was, I, was, I used to busk. And uh, I would be giving the balloons away. I remember there's this... That's uh, a bad this, way of busking. Giving them away. Well, this is a weird... You had to try different different angles. I remember it was in Liverpool. And Liverpool, this man saw me. I was there at nine o'clock in the morning. And this guy saw me. And he just looked at me. And he dropped 20 quid in the in my box. And this is late 90s, you know. And I was, I was like, does he want change? I can't, I can't take 20 quid. That's a lot of money. So I tried to give it. And he was like... He just didn't want uh, anything. He just maybe just thought you were amazing. Yeah, I was though. Yeah, you know. But um, <laughs> but the, the winning formula was I worked it out. You make the balloon, and you hand it out, and you don't talk. You hand it out to the person, and then you put your hand out, your open palm, and everybody can see what they're going to give you. And I guess the charge is like fifty p. But because I put my hand out, they always give a quid. You know. Oh. So I was making twenty quid an hour. You know, in the late nineties, was a lot of money. You know. So but you were spending. I was spending, and this is the problem. I was drinking days. a lot back then, you know. Right. So it was, but you were giving a little back. I was, well, I was giving a lot back. back. Yes. but you know, after that, there, I got a job in London. I ended up in this dead end job, which landed me in PwC. You know, the world's largest accountancy firm. So I was in there in PwC pushing the company forward during the day, you know, in knowledge. Single-handedly. Yeah, single-handedly. I was in the knowledge management department. Anyway, so what <laughs> happened was I was doing that during the day and then at nighttime I was writing one-man theatre shows and I was getting up on stilts. I remember I wrote one, for example, With or Without You, I Cannot Live With or Without You. And that was the that story. That was the title? That was the title, yeah, yeah. Did you was, pay any royalties for that? No, 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 no. It was different. <laughs> I cannot live. I cannot live with her without you. I cannot live yeah. with her without oh. you. I cannot live with her without you. What Maybe was it about? It's about Danny the boy. Who? Danny the boy. From Danny boy? No, 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 no. Just Danny the boy. And Danny the boy, he, uh, he was really into banjo. Oh. And then he started doing drugs. And then he... I came across this, this guy who was called Ian Paisley uh, because he was always taking ease. Ian Paisley? Uh, Ian, Ian, Ian Paisley. Ian Paisley. Yeah, yeah, because right. he was doing loads of ease. <laughs> so there's a big... So there was no E in the Paisley? No, e, e-ing, e-ing. 
eating Paisley. I but I'm saying there's no E in his Paisley though. Can you get a piece of paper and show me later? Yes. Good, yeah. thanks. Okay, so Danny the boy and Ian Paisley were having this hair fight at the end. And then um, I was in stilts, topless, playing banjo, singing With or Without You, I Cannot Live With or Without You. What's the U2 lyrics? I know, but uh, yeah, but uh, you know, one man show but no, on stilts. Yeah, yeah. And you played all those characters. Yeah, Danny yeah. the boy and Ian Paisley. Ian Paisley. Oh, Ian. Did the show happen? In the West End, at uh, 12 Bar Club in Denmark Street. Cool. And then uh, I did a whole pile of others. So but it was sort of stand up comedy theatre. Yeah, but but the, the pinnacle but, was maybe Prince of the Musical on banjo. Right, now that's yeah, ringing a bell. That, that's I kind of remember this. Prince yeah. the Musical on banjo. Yeah. That's ringing a bell. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I performed 11 characters in that one. And um, Sly Stone. Could you give us a little moment of it. Well, it's all about Prince. Uh, no, no, I don't want to know about it. I want to see a scene from oh, it. Oh, a scene. Oh, I can't remember. This is like, I, I stayed it in Prince's 50th birthday. I spent two years writing it and devising it and all the rest. But um, what happened was uh, is Prince was using the albums to launch his hairstyles. The music was just, you know, a vehicle to get his hairstyles launched. Yes. It was all about the hair. And then Michael Jackson was jealous of him because Michael Jackson was famously bald because of the Pepsi Cola ad, which maybe was a sham because of the plastic surgery. So um, Michael Jackson put a bomb underneath the O2, which is going to go off in the year 2000. So Prince is going to party like it was 1999 because he still had his hair. Right. So then I ended up in China teaching. And, um, <laughs> and then uh, I did want to do a performance there. Queen, Charlie Chaplin, which is the music of Queen, to the life of Charlie Chaplin, the music of Queen. And so I think my partner, Philip, will be a big fan of your work because she's a huge Queen fan. Aye. Chaplin, I'm not so sure about. Oh, she just doesn't know about Chaplin. Yes, doesn't. And, yeah. and then Prince. Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like you're, are you going to be rebooting these works? Well, the thing is, and and this is the thing, and this is the thing, this is the thing. Theatre is created and destroyed at the same time. And that, I always loved that about theatre, that you create the moment and you destroy it at the same time. And whenever I do a production, I'm boom, I'm gone. I'm moving on to the next one and I'm sort of sick of it. You know what I mean? You probably know that. I think, I think that's why I'm a director, because I think when it's done, you move on. Yes. You yeah, know, yeah. I, the the repetition within theatre. Although, having said that, you know, most performers would say there is no repetition in live work. Mm. Yeah, because yeah. you'll 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 feel or you'll sense something different with an audience on each on each turn. But the discipline sometimes is what what I find. So, for instance, the show because for anyone listening, um, our we started to work a lot more. Bosco and I together. So I was in, involved in developing and performing in some of the shows. So Shush, We Have a Plan is a great example of a show that is entirely silent apart from shh. Um, and it's all performed to the soundtrack. So every movement is, I mean, you cannot miss a beat. It is like, it feels a bit like jazz. Every performance you're doing is to this this musical soundtrack and it helps you tell the story. And uh, I can't remember exactly what my point, oh yes, discipline. Discipline. What I... I remember there would have been time in my life that I thought, no way, I don't want to just keep doing the same thing mm. again, a repetition, I don't want to tour for three months, I wouldn't want to, you know, the idea of pantomime I struggled with, why would you want to do um, six weeks of one show? 
But with Shush, it did. What revealed itself was discipline, and the discipline necessary to be in a show like that became the kind of addiction, I suppose, to try and make it 100% through, 100% brown, as I like to call it, where you get through the end of the show and you know you've pretty much nailed it. And it's not easy to do it. And that discipline really does help improve you as a performer. And, you know, that's, that's why you can keep going and keep doing it because you still find those little secrets, those little ma- bits of magic, but within the discipline, I suppose, of maybe what it's like for someone in an orchestra or someone in a jazz band, you know, maybe they're more improvised, you know, there's more improvisation there, but it's still this discipline of trying to find the magic within this, the constraints of what you're doing. And I think that is exciting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I, but you feel it yourself when you're watching a piece of theatre, I think. You know, you, you, you know that, that anything could kind of happen. You know, even though you know that it's, it's, yeah. it's rehearsed to probably within an inch of its life if it's really good. Yeah. But, but you still, as an audience member, I feel it every time I watch a piece that actually this is happening now and, you know, someone could kick a door uh, someone could yeah. fall over, you know, there's that. But you're right, I think your point's 100% that that it's made and destroyed at mm-hmm. the same time. I think that's a brilliant way to, to look at it. And that's what makes it exciting. Hmm. Uh, and yeah. why the street is so exciting as well, because there is this, yeah. you've got your audience yeah. and you've got your show and what you think you're in control of and all it takes is one person to walk into that and we are in a city centre again. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like... Wow, yeah, <laughs> that yeah. is so exciting. It's not the safety of the theatre. It's yeah. it's not. It, it's this new environment that, again, to keep thinking of Mike in the background, you're transforming it, and it can be transformed the other way. Mm. All it takes is one person to walk in, and you're in a different scene. <laughs> do you know? Do you know a performing arts course that we did? Uh, that, that for me, that was the first stage. And then the second stage was the Bretton Hall. Like, yeah. like the, and a few things that I learned there, and both of you are talking, and, and the, it's reinforcing this thought in my head. Jackson Pollock, where the, yeah. art, the art exists beyond the canvas. Mm. And then also I'm thinking about um, Andy Warhol, you know, um, the Brillo boxes or whatever, Campbell's tom- tomato soup. Um, you have this... Um, have you been to the Warhol Museum? In Pittsburgh? I haven't known. You need to go there. Yeah, yeah. That's incredible. So there's no way of knowing exactly what the artist meant unless the artist tells you. But a few ideas, like we were coming into discussions about what art, what Warhol meant by these, these pieces. And Zen Buddhism came up, and it was the idea that life is art, that going to a supermarket is an artistic experience that um, there's art in design of the boxes. And so, you know, it goes on and on and on. But whenever you're talking about performing on the street, that's very much like at what part does the art end and life begin, you know? And I, I find that boundary. Two boys in, in, in London, East London. Oh, Gilbert and George. Yeah, I love Gilbert I went to their house. Their name just, I love it. Yeah. So they, I love I intrigued and fascinated by them and their their life and their works of art their life as art and I I do you know I don't have the bravery to just completely do what they do but definitely I 
like to think that at least a part of me is able to go into the communities and do the things I do because it, I see everything as a little bit of an mm. inspiration and a moment and a, and a kind of Well, do you know how art. famously they made their entrance into the art world uh, professionally was they, they were snubbed for an exhibition in, in the 60s and they wanted to be included. So they brought some boxes along, they wore their suits and they painted themselves maybe gold or silver and just stood in the boxes and became living statues. Yeah. And they were t they were written about the next day more <laughs> yeah. so than anybody else. So I, I went to their house and it's funny because... Um, you just knocked the door, Just yeah. knocked the door. Cool. So my friend Paul Jackson was... Uh, Jacko. He, Jacko, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was reading the book and he says, you're working in Brick Lane, you know, Gilbert and George live here. Yeah. And I, was, I was like, who are they? And he yeah. says, oh, they're big, big shots, you know. So I says, come on, we'll go to their house then. <laughs> so we went to, I says, we'll just recognise the door. So we're walking along the street and he picked the, you know, this door and, and I looked at it and went, man, if this is who you say it is, that's not their door. And we kept on walking. I says, that's their door there. Look at it, it's pristine. It's fantastic. And it was brown, you know. So knocked the door. George answers the door <laughs> and he looked at us and... Um, <laughs> And I looked at George, and then I looked at Jacko, as if to say, is this him? <laughs> He's and, uh, smaller than I thought. Uh, well, I didn't know what he looked like, do you see? And then, uh, and then Jacko says, can we come in? Can we come in for a cup of tea? You know, there's me, Jacko, there's Mo Hanlon, John Devlin, there's the four of us. And then uh, George says, not right now. Can you go back in 10 minutes? So we went away off, we went to the end of the road, <laughs> and then we were waiting, and then this here big deluge came down, a big downpour of rain, and we're standing at the doorway, and I, we're getting soaked. I says, Jacko, come on, we've got to go, it's 12 minutes. He says, I wait in the while. I said, no, we're going up now. Knocked the door, and then uh, he, answered, he answered the door, and then, come in, come in. So we went in, <laughs> went around through their house into the back studio, and we sat around a, a table just like this, maybe a bit, oh, obviously bigger because there were six of us. And we had the most wonderful yeah, uh, conversations, you know, for an hour. And then they got their book, they had just done their uh, exhibition called The, the Shit Pictures. Right. And uh, they got these this book out just, and um, started showing me this stuff. And I, I was killing myself laughing. I said, your stuff's brilliant. And I said to him, yeah. I've never seen your work before, you know. And he said, where have you been living? Under a rock? <laughs> And there was, a, I remember this picture, it said, it shits. And, and I was looking at this and I said, oh, it shits, that's hilarious. And he says, count them. And I went, because they got, got, you know, the shits on the, on the picture. And I'm counting one, two, three, four, five, six. And they're standing naked in the pictures, of course. Seven, eight. <laughs> and they loved it. You know, you know, they could see that their art was being realized through me, yeah. you know, which was that moment of yeah. creating destruction, you know, creation destruction. They loved my audition, the, the turd. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I want to go back to them, actually. Well, I know that they have, well, I assume that they still regularly have their breakfast at the same sort of... Cafe. Little it's cafe. Newington. Yeah. And I've always wanted to see them having their breakfast. Yeah. Did they buy all their stuff in bulk or something? I well, the hat stuff, there's the hat shop where they always get their hats and their suits are yeah. beautifully kind of... That's crap. right. They're cool. Yeah. They're and cool. They, they were such... Uh, we had a wonderful, wonderful day that day. And yeah. I remember at the end of it, you know... It was a privilege to get in and see yeah. their houses. Yeah. Their houses, I've seen pictures of it, some footage of inside their house and it just looks fucking 
fascinating. Yeah, well. yeah, like pan, uh, panels all yeah, over the place. Yeah. Do you think, like a performer, they said go away, and then for ten we minutes they got everything ready, got and the then they back in again? <laughs> Quick, get the shit painted. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you know what they, do what they had as well? They had the microscopes and the pubic lice in there, and they were asking us to look in there. You know, look at these. Oh, you'd seen on, on their pubes? Well, no, no, no. It was it was, oh. it was the pubes. The, sorry, the crabs in in the in the oh, slides. Oh, like a gentleman there. It was, it was very surreal. I kept on going back to their houses uh, for their houses. Did they let you in again? Yeah, they, they had uh, two houses next door to each other. Four years. In Fournier Street. Street. How do you say it? Fournier. Fournier Street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, cool. Cool people. Oh, brilliant. And that, 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 you know, it is exciting to just live your life. Like, that's so... As an art. And this is me. Yes. And I am the art. I think that's so cool. It's such a... Well, you're doing it to you. Well, yeah, maybe not quite as... Yeah, but yeah, I'm trying. Yeah, yeah. And it's only you. I do try. Yeah, yeah. You're doing it. You're out there doing it. Do you remember? That's the first thing well, I said to you us today. We're that, out there. We're doing but, it. I know, and that is the thing. It is like that's my greatest achievement because going, you know, I went to 23 to college, so I was 23. Aye. So before that, I'd just been living life and having a bit of fun and doing things, Aye. doing the odd jobs and civil service and stuff. But that was, I went there quite seriously to see if this could be a springboard to a life in the arts, I suppose. Mm. And I knew that was going to be kind of, it could be tricky. You hear about so many people failing to make it in the arts. Mm. I'm just glad to be still going. Yeah. Whatever, 27, 28 years later is f***ing cool. Yeah. <laughs> you create your own opportunities as well, of course. Yeah, and I think, but it's also, yeah, but it's also about going with a sort of realistic sort of ambitions too and going, because I remember people on the first day, you could see them, I can see them now in my head, you know, they're going to be singers and musicals and, and the, West yeah, End and all line, this. Yeah. And you think... Oh, I want to just make shows, create my own shows. And it's not about, you know, it's about being able to survive and, you know, and, and yeah, maybe, you know, have a comfortable place to live and have family around you or whatever and look after each other. But mostly it's about creating art and yeah. surviving as an artist till the end. That's all I really wanted to do and I'm still doing it. So touch That's wood. Rude, yeah. Keep her lit. Well, Bowie was the same, you know, it, it, and it's it's that commitment to one's vision, you know, whatever that vision is, yeah. you know, and uh, that's hugely, and it's not about scale of, um, you know, how much money you make or yes. you've had a number one hit single because there's lots of it's all relative as to what what the success is, isn't I know. it? and right. I've and I've met some people who have had huge successes, but the thing is, they kind of would like to be in a small venue in the West End doing something that they really love yeah. that makes their soul alive rather yeah. than doing something that oh they want to hear Ace of Speeds again yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's I think longevity in the performing arts it has to be vocational yes it, it, it doesn't fulfilling the need within oneself yeah absolutely I yeah. think that's the, you know yeah, I think that's you, the formula, the yeah, formula. So, yeah, I mean you're passionate about what you do you have been since the start it hasn't changed not at all it's I, not I, about you know it's about the show isn't totally. it totally or I, can, I honestly can remember I can locate myself aged 13 going I need to do this for the rest of my life wow yeah I can actually as a, as a magician or as a drummer because you were a drummer at that age as yeah. well I was a drummer and I was a you know I was singer uh, Never a singer. Thank God. <laughs> Have you heard it? Oh, my uh, goodness. But, but it's melt the bath. 
I think it's it's absolutely vocational. But I think once you get it into your mind that it is possible, and I think like so many things in life that you 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 know things that we think are impossible are possible. Mm. And I think yeah. once you realise that that actually I can make a living at this, and for me this was the performing arts. It was whether it was drumming or doing magic tricks or you know it's making, all the same, isn't it? It's like, all, it's all, these all things, the same. Expressions. It's about expressing yourself. And and the greatest gift, I think, as an artist that we can do is share it. Mm-hmm. And and I take your point. I don't think that necessarily means you need to be on the biggest stage in the world, mm-hmm. you know. No, but definitely it's, not. It's, it's that vocational, you know, bubble that that we collectively probably have as well, that you just need to be doing it, mm-hmm. to yeah. be alive, mm-hmm. to, to, to feel that that your existence is worthwhile mm-hmm. uh, or as my father would say still getting away with it <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is which is also really <laughs> apt I love that. Right. you know it's He's great not. to be getting away with it, it yeah. i don't want to I, I knew in the civil service i remember um i had to take a file i worked in the department of education and i was asked to deliver this file to the top guy up at the top and I went to his office, knocked the door, and he sat down and sat down. He said, who are you? And I said, I'm Hugh, Hugh Brown. And he said, are you, are you enjoying working here? And I was like, well, uh, not really. It's not really what I want to do, you know. And he said, and I thought he would do exactly what everyone else in the place. And I told him that everyone else was going, if you keep doing what you're doing, you could be here like me, 15 years or 25 years. And I was like, that's just filled me with dread yeah. the thought of this because I could see they weren't happy they're pretending this is this is a great success and he said you know when I started out and I've been here for a long time and I'm you know I'm at the top of the department of education but I always wanted to do something else and you know I've got a nice house and I've got my wife and our kids and we have a couple of holidays every year and it's really good and I you know I enjoy what I do but I still sometimes wish I'd done what I really wanted to do mm. and he said he said, so like, you know, do you think if there's something you really want to do, you know, maybe you should, you could do that. Mm. And I, I said, you're the first person to speak to me like this and you're like the top guy. And he said, but it's important. Mm. And I was like, well, nobody else is telling me this. Everyone else is telling me they're, they're happy. Mm. He was like, well, you know, I just needed to tell you. And so I went downstairs, handed my resignation in and, 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 uh, not long after that, I found that that course that we're talking about, and I met you guys, and I met Mike, and I met Malcolm, I met Jim, I met Will, all these people that, you know, there's so many of them. But it all started in a way with that guy actually saying, you know, don't have regrets. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't, don't have regrets. Brilliant. Do what you fucking really want to do. Yeah. Do your story. Have a go. Yeah, yeah. And and don't be afraid to fail. Yeah. And, but the, and get away with it. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the important thing as well is keep that, you know, if I'm just thinking about people who are just going to hand in their resignation. That's a very scary thing to do if you've got a wife and kids or, or a husband yeah. or kids, whatever, you know, I, I, that you could bills to pay. And, you know, yeah. what what I was doing when I was doing that Prince musical, I was working my, my stuff off in uh, PwC, and then I was going home and I was working uh, on the Prince musical. And yeah. I remember f- for weeks, I'd go home on a Friday and I wouldn't leave the house again until, su- until Monday morning. 
Yeah. And, you know, because yeah. he was working flat out yeah. all weekend, not speaking to anybody, you know, putting yeah. that show together. And sometimes it takes that. Yeah, it's, it's like writing that great unfinished novel, whatever. Mm. You can do that and... Do you know, it, everybody! Huge, but, do, but I do think if you've got that feeling inside you, yeah, I think you're right. I, mean, I was 22, 23. Yeah. I, I didn't have any real, you know, worries about family or whatever. So I totally get that not everyone can just go and hand their resignation in. But if you've got a little moment of something bubbling away in you that you want to get out, you do it. Dude. People can sit at home now with studios in their like in their bedroom. Yeah. You know what? In their iPads. You can buy music. synthesizers. You can you can you can sit and you can write your book and while you're having a coffee on your laptop. You can do mm. you know there is so many opportunities out there now and things that can that people can be creative. Yeah. In lots of different ways. Much easier I think in mm. a way than you know, I'd have dreamt to have a studio in my house. I know. Synthesizers. And, you know, whenever I was teaching in China, all these kids would be playing computer games. And I used to always say to them, in life, you're either the product or you're the, or you're making something. Yeah. And if you're playing computer games, you are the product. Yeah. Now, I know that if it's you have some, to play games sometimes. It is, I was about to yeah. say, you know, if, if you're, if you have a very stressful job, it's very good to unwind yeah. doing that. But... Be a on producer, your, yeah. To, to be a producer, to, to go to work on a bus, instead of playing a computer game, maybe get some other app right, where you're where you're producing. Yeah. Would you know you do something more worthwhile at the end of your at the end of your year, you know? And I think I think also but you know, like for me, listening to music and so opening yourself up to different creative arts mm -hmm. is also really good. Um for people who might not necessarily want to sit and try and, you know, learn an instrument. But let yourself listen to lots of stuff. Go to see a dance show. Go to see a ballet. Mm, yeah. And, like, that's one thing I also learned is you can you don't close yourself off to the, yeah. any creativity just because you think, oh, God, that's not for me. Yeah. The ballet, why would I go to You go to a ballet and it yeah. blows your mind. Have you seen Swan Lake? Uh, <laughs> I've yeah. seen the Ballet de Trocadero, the San Francisco men's ballet group come, came mm -hmm. to the waterfront hall and yeah. blew and my amazing. mind. Well, that's, uh, that's one lake with, uh, what do you call the girl, uh, Leon, uh, she grew up. The girl in oh, Leon? Oh, oh, right. Yeah. No, I know, no. I, I uh, can't remember. Uh, Black Swan. Okay, no, I've never seen that. It's called, it's called Black Swan. Yeah. Actually. That is amazing. Is that, it? Absolutely. It is the story of Swan Lake, but it, yeah. Is just it'll blow your mind. Okay, so I'm gonna wrap it up here, lads. So let me talk about how you're going to get away with it in the future. What's your future plans that you've got coming up? Uh, not to keep doing what I'm doing. I think that's the secret. Why? What do you mean? Because it. I mean. If I go into a rehearsal room, a bombshell. Man. I know, no, no, but said he announces he's going to be a postman. <laughs> all, all his employees are listening. Going, oh my god, we're out of a job. The, the, if there is no risk, if there is no, uh, if if part of the energy of creating work isn't about asking yourself, is this is this right or is this wrong? There's no point. So, so I jump it off the diving board. Absolutely, and doing something that you haven't done before, and making sure that the work just doesn't become stale because it does become it's very very easy to you know it's very easy to find a winning formula i think you know and and 
a winning formula in your own head and go, well, this is how I'm, I do it. I'm thinking about Bowie again. I mean, Bowie, he always changed. You know, you know, he, he sacked his band before he, on the, on the verge of a US tour during Ziggy Stardust. In the 80s, whenever he was awful, he sacked himself. Uh, and then he started the band, Tin Machine, and then he sacked that band. Yeah. And then he, so it's about constant reinvention. But, but I think for any artist, you can't just churn it out. You've, you've got to find the challenge within you mm. And then you've got to, from you know my my point of view, you then got to bring it into a room, and you've got to bring people with you, and you've got to create work that, it, because here's the bottom line: if it ain't interesting for me, and doing the same thing over and over isn't interesting to me, mm. if it isn't interesting to me, it won't be interesting to an audience. Mm. And that's you know I'm talking about what my skill set is: mm. directing, creating, producing. But you also direct. Yeah, I think. I, yeah, I mean, because you I mean with each project, you'll always try and reinvent. With slightly. each project, I mean, the space that we're in now is is a project, yeah. you know. So it's about it. It, it okay, really is, and at some yeah. point, you know, the challenge is too great. You know, I've felt that on several projects over the years. But at least the 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 commitment to try and do something different and to put yourself outside your own comfort zone, I think I think there's an onus in every artist to do that. Mm. I think you've got to expand as an artist by by creating risk mm-hmm. and you can only create risk if you put yourself in a place that you're not familiar with Bowie well, talks about uh, again a, a fantastic quote he says always go into the water where your feet just don't about touch the ground yeah you know because that's where you're going to create the more interesting yeah. stuff mm-hmm. whenever you just feel a little bit out of your comfort yeah. zone absolutely yeah. absolutely so Hugh what are you going to go get away with in the future I um sort of in the near future, I'm going to be working in Dublin quite a lot, working on this project in Darndale um, uh, and on Paddy's Day for Dublin this year I'm going to be doing. So that kind of, both those types of work are within the community, um, kind of trying to pull those stories from people and then helping people express themselves. And then uh, Jitterbug, I'll be continuing to do the do the jitterbug, which I kind of maybe after a little time of break away from it a little bit, I kind of got really into it last year and felt like the show was really growing. And I kind of like that. I, I do like this feeling of having my own one man show that just when I'm when I feel like it, I can get out and do it. And then with music, I'm continuing to work on soundtracks and podcasts and stuff with. RTE and a couple of great friends down in Dublin, Trish and Norma, who have a podcast, The Science of Sense, is a podcast for the kids. science of sense, the science of sense, science of sense. Yes, so we science. did. We did this on the, we've done two seasons, and I think we're going to get a third season, hopefully with RTE Junior for that. So there's like, and then hopefully with Cahoots, I think we're going to try and talk about that someday. I'm hoping to create a new piece of work with with Bosco, mm-hmm. as that is. I hope forever will continue to create. Mm, Strange, we we we've you know we've collaborated on so many different yeah. projects over the years, and I think that's well from my out of absolute respect, you know, uh, to sort of integrity to create work of a high standard for young audiences. But mm. I think any of the pieces of work that we've both worked on or produced for young audiences would be very happy to watch it ourselves. <laughs> mm. you know, yeah. So mm. it's it's back to that integrity, 
uh, honesty and challenge. Challenge mm. yourself. I mean, I, I think we, we worked on a piece a few years ago, uh, which was about how do we introduce the concept of death to children? Oh, you know, wow. taking away religion completely. But how do we wh- how do we how do we introduce the concept of death to really young audiences? Mm. Uh, you know, so I'm just I'm just plucking that out of the air as you know, a kind of a a project that we would have sat down and worked on for months upon months. And how do we do that? And then the finished piece ends up being a piece of dance theatre that neither. You or I are are are, are first in, but if we go back to the start of this conversation, that course mm-hmm. give us a grounding yeah. and an understanding in theatrical technique that we wouldn't have sitting here today, or mm. created pieces of work like that had we not had at least some understanding. Mm. So yeah. So here's my question to you: What are you going to get away with? Well, I'm getting away with it so far, but the, you know, I've got you know, there's there's um is 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 a a Japanese concept called Ichigai. It's four quadrants, and you got how many are you? How many are you fulfilling? One is, I'm good at what I do. One is, I enjoy what I do. Another one is, the world needs it, and the final one is, I can get paid for it. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm hitting all three. <laughs> <laughs> three out of four, you <laughs> Yeah. And I, I keep saying, you know, this time next year, I'm going to be earning an income. So, uh, you know, the, the Ireland podcast and the Galway podcast, and actually Salt Hill Media, as, as I've set it up, is about spreading joy in the world. And happiness and being a champion of champions. There's enough bad stuff out in the world, you know, mm. the media companies, you know. Yeah, got, they all love that bad stuff. They love the they? bad stuff because it's clickbait, yeah. you know. And I'm about uh, death spread joy because we're only here for a short time. And if everybody did that, imagine, imagine what the world would be like, you know. Uh, imagine that, that we're all champion for each other, um, a champion for each other. So... Uh, yeah, so I'm just going to continue what I'm doing, and hopefully um, that I'll be able to earn an, a living out of this. Because I'm a I'm a substitute teacher, and the phone doesn't ring, and uh, I'm just sort of getting by, mm. scraping along, and I'm hoping that uh, maybe maybe I'll start earning money soon with this. And now that you're back in Ireland and in Galway, mm. maybe we should collaborate. On yeah. Something. Like the three of us create something new, a new piece, mm-hmm. you know, 27 odd years on. Yeah. And see, you know, you know, we work should, together we to create something. each of our edition pieces from that college. Yeah, the third, <laughs> the third, <laughs> third, Suzanne Vega. On base, yeah. And the magic and what's of in Bosco. There you go. Make, make the third disappear into the base. I think you've hit on something. Yeah. Should we give a shout out to, to Mike's mother and father? And to all who love them. And all who love them. I'm thinking about Mike's, because Mike's mother was a strong woman and his father was a German dwarf, according to Mike. <laughs> yeah. And then oh, yeah. They, they rock up at the funeral. And we turned out, that, yeah, she's not a strong woman and he doesn't even speak German. Well, I couldn't be at the funeral, ah. which was because I was living in Cambodia should at that we, time. Should we just say very quickly about about how Mike passed away? I, I, I know it's sad, but but people are maybe wondering how, what what happened. Why are we remembering him? Yeah, but what happened? What ha- Because he, it was an untimely death. It was unnatural. 
Well, I suppose Mike would want us to make something up, wouldn't he? He would. <laughs> he was catapulted. <laughs> From a cannon. From a cannon, yeah. Into a... Into uh, a, a, a mouth of fiery flames. Yeah. But the reality is he fell off the ladder. Yeah. As simple as that. Which is... Uh, he was, was, very, he, was, he, was, he, was he clearing gutters or was he fixing his aerial? Well, was that not Rod Hull? Uh, Rod Hull, it was that type of thing. It's one of those, he'd love that, wouldn't he? I know. He story. was attacked by an emu. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, but yeah. uh, but it is. I, I remember I went to his wake and uh, uh, it was an open wicker basket, you know, in a funeral home. I remember sitting looking at him and going, "You silly sausage!" I know. know it's such a waste. I, it's, I sometimes would head. Is, there's a lovely uh, photograph by Helen Sloan. I think Helen took that one that's in Lavery's. Um, I'm pretty sure she did. And uh, so it's at the end of the bar. Mm. So. I'd occasionally find myself sitting having a wee pint beside him. Mm, that's and, nice. uh, I find that kind of ni- just nice to do that. Yeah. And his son, Oshin, I, I never... I haven't seen Oshin in years. Him, I haven't seen him since the funeral. And, um, you know, we should give a shout out. Well, it would be lovely to see him because, you know, I've... Yeah. yeah we well, you can't have, It's one of those things with, with people that you lose as well. And, you know, there's quite a, a lot of them. I find myself still when I walk through Belfast, and I don't know, I kind of still look out for them a wee bit, yeah. kind of expecting to see them around the corner or to walk into Lavery's and Mike's there or Will's there, Jerry's there, you know, and, I f- and you know, from that particular community, we've lost a few greats. And um, we had, you, we had an extraordinary goodbye to Mike in Cambodia. I happened to be out in Cambodia and was with Hugh. You were living in Sienukville and who should arrive en route to Australia oh, yes. was Donal. Oh wow. Uh, who, you know, formed the circus school with Mike. And he had Mike's ashes. Oh wow. Uh, or his portion of order of them or yeah, yeah. a portion yeah, or whatever. A portion of it. So we had our our own little our own little ceremony down in Phnom Penh. In Phnom Penh. Was it no, 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 we didn't. Sienna Down at the sea. Where? Sorry. In Sienna is where I lived. So it's Sienna Okay. S I H C A N O U K V I L L E. He's always a good speller. I know. I am a good speller. Hugh Brown. Ask me to spell anything. Hugh. H U G H. I thought you were going to say H U. I got editors that'll be H U. H U W. H U E. But that I just forgot about Shade that. Brown. That was, Shade brown. That was an extraordinary. <laughs> so what did you pour the ashes in Cambodia? We didn't pour them; they weren't liquid. I know, but you still you kind of cast them, right? Okay, but into then the ocean, the Indian Ocean. Oh wow! I was this was this his request I or did Donald to take it? Good fun. Bosco sang a song. It was lovely. Sang Sing. Mike's oh, favorite song. Okay. Do, so Walsing Matilda, <laughs> beautiful version. <laughs> uh, did did was it was it his wish to be in the Indian Sea? Was this just all said just for us to cast him? That was his wish. I think Donald no, Donald wanted to find somewhere special. He'd carried them with him for a while. Is my memory of it? Now we were quite drunk, hmm. but he had these for a while, and he just wanted to do something special with them. And it felt, I think, that this was the time to do oh, it because the three of we you. were there. Yeah. yeah, that's beautiful. So that was lovely. Bowie's in Bali. Huh? Is he? Bowie is in Bali. His ashes. Is he? Sp- yeah, yeah, we're sped in Bali. Wow. I've been to, I've been to Bali, no? I've never been to Bali. I've never been to Bali, I would like to. Yeah, get a motorbike in Bali. Don't get a, a taxi. I have be- a motorbike in yeah. Cambodia still. Yeah. So, um, oh, that's beautiful. 
That's I know. Nice. So that was, I'd forgotten that. Yeah, 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 that was a lovely, lovely moment. Yeah. So, you know, the ripples continue after the stone hits the bottom of the waterbed. And whenever you're saying you're walking around Belfast, you can still yeah. look out for these people. The influences are still there. The fact yeah. that we're having this conversation and we're spreading it out there, I think, you know, it's a testament to the man and his influences. And, it's, you know, everybody else we've mentioned. Yeah. And that, I suppose, is, is what it's all about is the impact you can have on a life just by being yourself. So, yeah. you know, Mike was completely himself and I'm, you'd only hope that other people come in contact and are open enough to meet people like that or be that. And I suppose, you know, in some respects, Catalyst. Mike needed a Malcolm. You know, well, he needed someone. Laurel and Hardy. Well, <laughs> Laurel needed but he a Hardy. needed somebody within the education system that could see the vision and yeah. sort of yes um, maybe do some of the paperwork <laughs> <laughs> but you know that's like your famous quote about me he's always saying it's like it's show business Hugh business. you're all about the show but the business side you're not great and it's true but I'm learning <laughs> that was for the HMRC <laughs> 30th of bloody 31st of January is coming uh, up with it's a dreaded time oh my god I don't uh, even have, I don't even want to think anymore I just send the money yeah <laughs> and cry with a note <laughs> okay we'll stop it there lads an hour and 29 minutes gosh Jesus an hour and a half you should be able to cut that down to 10 yeah, we should be able to get 5 minutes out of it too <laughs> and well done you for Doing this, this is a brilliant idea, brilliant initiative, and anything that I've heard, it's been yeah. fantastic. So, you know, thank you. Keep going. Keep yeah. her lit. Keep her lit. Yeah. So where do you get these things? What is it? What does that do? Can you like, this, this, if this, I this, say it, something, can you make it go? Whoa, 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 yeah, you can whoa. press buttons and make it all. You, but what's like the wee pads I for? I haven't, I haven't programmed it. To be honest, it's not fully pro- working. Let, let's do the let's do, let's do the goodbye. Oh, sorry, sorry, Jake. Fender, what are you Fender. Called? Okay. Thanks very much. I'll do my best. Okay, lads. Hugh Brown. Yes. Paul McEnany. Where do we find out your existence on nine? Cahootsni.com. For Paul McEnany. Cahoots. 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 C-A-H-O-T. Not the finance company. No. Cahoots N-I. Yeah. Northern HughWilliamBrown.com. That's yeah, that's you my wee website. Him as Hugh William Brown once right. throughout this yeah. interview, and yet and and yet you didn't call me Paul Bosco Maganini, and yeah. that's actually our real names. Yeah, yeah, my real is such a quirky one, Hugh William Brown. I know, jeez, Chris, it's so quirky. Yeah, but they, they, I try to I try to build my own website, which ah. for anyone who knows me, that's not easy for me to technically try and do that. Yeah, but and Philippa did help, so I should say that, yeah. but. I try to sort of pull together all because the, the variety of things that I do, I try to put it on one website. I don't know if anyone's ever looked at it, but it doesn't really matter. I never knew it existed, and so I, that's I, my I sort of one. hope that it would be something that if anyone was interested, they could have a look. There's a Jitterbug Jackson page, there's a sort of a music thing, and Brilliant. there's all that sort of shit. But it's, yeah, just 
Yeah. Who and then I heard it? that once you die, your website anyway doesn't continue, so it yeah. just dissolves. So what's the fucking point? So for that, I've got a YouTube channel so people can enjoy my music until YouTube dies. Class, I love it. So go to Hugh William Brown and then there'll be links to your YouTube There's channel. There's links to everything. Oh, brilliant. Uh, I just I hope can't you wait. have a lovely night I watching it all. I can't wait to go home and just get on it to the It should take you at least three and a half hours to watch everything. Really? God almighty. I know. If you could write notes Bosco's as well. point is watch. That's brilliant. I'm we going to look forward to that. Thanks very much, lads. All the best. All the best. <laughs> this has been a Solid Hill Media original podcast and production. 